When 28-year-old Nancy Benelak didn't show up for work on October 26, 1970, her co-workers became suspicious. Nancy never missed a day of work, especially without saying anything. When her concerned co-workers contacted the landlord to do a wellness check, they saw something that would stick with them for a lifetime. I'm Amanda Washington. And I'm Michelle Graham. Welcome back to another episode of The Point of No Return. So today's episode, um, of course, if you guys haven't caught on by now, we are in Sacramento. So this obviously is in Sacramento. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Um, You guys know who else is from Sacramento. Um, So yeah, let's just jump right into it. So um, the name of this episode is going to be The Oldest in the Coldest. This girl be serious about her episode names, y'all. <laughs> and it ain't gotta be an announcement. <laughs> if you didn't know. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Have you ever noticed really good TV shows? The name of the episode is in the episode. Yes. And yeah, then you're, you're like, right. oh, that's why it was called that. Like, oh my gosh, I didn't know why they were going to call it ch- chicken fingers. They ate chicken fingers the whole episode. You know? So, um, Yes, our case today is about a 28-year-old woman named Nancy Benelak, um, who unfortunately was murdered in 1970. So she was stabbed to death over 30 times, and she appeared to be nearly decapitated by the time she was found the next day. So she was stabbed in the bedroom of her one-bedroom apartment. She lived alone. So when her body was found, the police were able to realize like, wow, she must have tried to fight her killer off because she had a lot of defensive wounds on her hands and her arms. So, you know, that's a clear indication. She was probably probably had her hands up either trying to cover her face or herself or fight back. So um, according to a retired sergeant at the Sacramento County, Sacramento County, excuse me, Sheriff's Department, her name is Mickey Lynx. And you'll hear um Sergeant Link's Detective Link's name a lot in this case because she really was a pivotal part of this case. She said that Nancy was asleep in her bed somewhere around 11:30 p.m. on October 25th, and she died somewhere in between that 11:30 p.m. and 6 a.m. time frame on October 26th. So someone came into her apartment and actually killed her. So this was somebody that broke into her house and killed her in the middle of the night. So before I get more into like the crime scene and what happened to her, I want to kind of humanize her and give you guys a picture of who Nancy was. So Nancy was a juvenile court reporter that enjoyed getting dolled up. Um, Like she loved beauty and fashion and things of that nature. And her sister also said that she loved eating really, really good food. So honestly, she probably was a girl that could hang out with us. Like she was about to say, (laughs) she was about to eat. (laughs) Booty, get cute. That's you. Yeah, uh, that's that's my homegirl. Um, so that was an in- instant connection for me. So um, the other interesting thing is, even though she lived alone, she was set to be married about a month after she actually was murdered. So she was set to be married in November of 1970 um, to somebody who also worked with the justice system. And it was the chief public defender at the time. His name is Ferris Salome. So that is who her fiance was. Um, But unfortunately, you know, they didn't get married because she died about a month before they were supposed to get married. So interesting enough, her sister also lived in the complex where she was murdered. Wow. 
Okay. Yeah. So I'm like, that has to be nerve wracking. Like I couldn't imagine knowing my sister got murdered and I was like, you know, feet away. They did. Yeah. So they, they didn't, they lived in separate apartments, same complex though. Yes. Right. Separate okay. apartments, same complex. Like girl, my sister's car got hit outside the, the house the other day. And I was like, how was I not awake to know? Right. You know? So I'm just like, I can only imagine your sister being dead. Mm-hmm. So, um, according to online news platform, The Union, Nancy was actually born and raised in Grass Valley, California. Have you heard of Grass Valley before? No. Oh, okay. Part, how far is that out from Sacramento? <laughs> it's about an hour away. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> it's, you know what? Maybe. Nah. I don't know nothing about Grass Valley. <laughs> I ain't even going to okay. cap. It kind of seemed like Northeast-ish. Uh, yeah. So, it wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed remote. Like when I did the Google Maps, it was straight greenery. So yeah, yeah, it's giving the middle of nowhere. Um, So she attended the Hennessy School and then later Nevada Union High School. You heard of that? No. And I'm thinking Nevada Union. It was probably closer to, it was probably closer to, could it it have been close to Tahoe at all? Um, I don't know. Look that up for me and see. I'm going to look up. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, so the yeah, the high school is Nevada Union High School. Um, so Nancy's sister, Linda Cox, who I told you lived in the same um apartment complex as her, said that her little sister was an accomplished athlete, a softball player, as well as a singer. So she also she also sang too. Who else okay, sings? Wow. You that's this your homegirl. Yes. So a lot of commonalities there. So she also loved to ball and her sister said that she was a small woman with a hearty appetite. So like I told you, she was a foodie. She liked to eat. So she said Nancy could sit and eat and eat Jim Boys tacos all day. You know about Jim Boys? Yes. I was about to say, do you know about Jim Boys? (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. I don't know about Jim Boys. I used to eat Jim Boys a lot growing up. Like, and you could get the tacos in bulk. I don't know why Jim Boys was set up like that, but I always just remember as a kid, it would be like 10 tacos. Everybody Uh used to just be getting a little snack. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim Boys tacos is is popular. So yeah, that's her sister says she would sit around and eat that like all day long. So eventually Nancy attended beauty school and um, she worked in a beauty shop for a few years. And then she eventually actually moved to Hawaii with one of her friends from beauty school and became a hairstylist. So, I mean, even though she was murdered at age 28, honey lived before, you know, she, her untimely death. Um, So she lived in Hawaii for a little bit and she worked as a hairstylist there. And then eventually she moved back to California. Okay. So that is just a little tidbit about who Nancy was as a person and all that great kind of stuff. So um, hours before her death, she actually spent her evening with her fiance. So at approximately 1130 PM, her fiance left her apartment to return to his own house. And so he told detectives when they questioned him that at the time he left Nancy, she was in the bed and um, he could see from where he was that she had slid her balcony door open a little bit. So it was a jar in a sense. And the reason that she left it open was because her cat would come in and out the house at nighttime. So I guess it seemed safe from what they saw. So she would leave, you know, that balcony door open. So he did confirm that the balcony door was in fact, um, I don't want to say wide open, but slightly opened while, you know, she was going to sleep to let the cat go outside. So the crime scene was really interesting the suspect made entry into her apartment by climbing up to the second floor okay she lived on the second floor 
So it's it's a modern day Spider-Man. Yeah. Climbing up to the second story balcony and then he slid the door open. So, you know, oh, he didn't yeah. have to really like break and enter, even though he wasn't supposed to be there. He didn't have to break anything in our crib because it was already open. Mm-hmm. So um, he climbed over her balcony. And the crazy thing is when they were looking for like who, who might have done it, where did he enter, where did he leave? They caught onto the balcony, not only because there was blood on the balcony that led downstairs, but also they found a piece of tape on her balcony. So it indicated to them that this man taped his fingers so you wouldn't find his fingerprints on her balcony because he climbed up the balcony. And did they, they, they end up not finding any fingerprints? Even they with didn't the find any tape fingerprints. That came off? I'm just, I feel like there's just quieter material you could pick. Besides tape. What about a glove? <laughs> no, seriously. I'm literally thinking of something cloth. But tape? Tape, bro. He taped his finger, like his, his little pads. He he taped them and kept the push. And then I'm just I was like, going to try to give him benefit of the doubt. Maybe I'm like, okay, maybe he had like cloth gloves. And so nothing would seep through like the lines. He put tape on them. But that still doesn't make sense. Because you yeah. just said something about little pads. Yeah, like the way that they that they described it in the police report. Because girl, I didn't search this so good. I don't found the affidavit and the police report and her autopsy from 1970. So <laughs> I'm not surprised. <laughs> so, um, the one yeah, they said that literally he had to have like taped his like individually wrapped his fingers. individually wrap his fingers in in tape and then he climbed up you know her um her balcony so after like i said after the killing they were investigating the crime scene doing all that great kind of stuff and they found a blood trail that led excuse me it began in the balcony and it continued onto the sidewalk that was below her apartment Mm -hmm. and so then it stopped in the complex's parking lot So to them, they were thinking, okay, whoever the killer is, he doesn't live in this apartment complex because he had a getaway car. Mm -hmm. So now they're trying to figure out, like, what other men in the area does does Nancy know that could have wanted to kill her? So at this point, they had already ruled out the fiancé, but I'm like... Scorn lover. (laughs) Scorn lover. You never know, right? So... um, the investigators again were able to once they excuse me did a lot of dna matching and looked at the blood and all that kind of stuff so at this point in time the only way that they can like kind of rule suspects out is by their blood type because this is 1970 so the only way that they was that they were able to rule out her fiance as the killer is because the blood that they found in her apartment that did not belong to her was not the same blood type as him yeah. So they already knew, like, okay, the the blood, this blood belongs to the killer. They don't have the same blood type, so it can't be him. Right. So that rolls out the fiance. So I was just like, oh man, because <clears throat> like in my initial research, I really thought it was the fiance. I was like, oh yeah, he killed her. I he mean, was the last person the, this year. Yeah, based on the details you've already provided, I have no, I have no, like theory outside of it was a random connection, but also. This had to be someone who was, I always think of like, if he was comfortable enough to scale, you know, 
two flights mm-hmm. in order to get to her. He also had to be scoping her to know, oh, this lady leaves her door cracked open to let her cat in and out. But also, why would she leave? Okay, so her cat goes in and out on the balcony. Okay, I was about to say, why would she mm-hmm. leave her door open for the cat if he couldn't go that far? First of all, if the cat can only go on the balcony, kitty cat, you're waiting till the morning. I'm not leaving my door open, one. Two, this had to be someone who knew she left her door cracked open in that way. And it's mm-hmm. like, did they watch from afar? Did they know her from somewhere else yep. and follow her home and sculpt her that way? There's so many possibilities now because it could be anybody besides her fiance. Because it's the only yeah. suspect they had and ruled him out real fast. But also, did it have to be a man? No, it doesn't have to be a man, but I feel like... Did they rule out her sister? In the 19... (laughs) Her sister had an alibi. Okay, okay. I'm I'm sorry. I'm going to... I feel like the automatic thing like that that people were thinking like gruesome killings like this like this lady was almost beheaded they were like oh yeah i think in their minds like women weren't strong enough to kind of like carry out it sounds like like a masculine a masculine gruesome yeah sure and so the other interesting thing that i found in this case too and i couldn't find anywhere else if they searched excuse me or if they tested for like um any sexual assault or sexual activity but she only had on underwear, which is not uncommon for a woman that's asleep if he killed her in her sleep. But I'm also thinking her man just came from the crib. So she could have been unclothed <laughs> for that reason. <laughs> Why are you laughing? I'm also thinking too, like after I boom, boom, cat, I'm not putting no drawers back on. <laughs> I'll put a yeah. t-shirt on. So this is a 70s though. I have no idea. Yeah, you're right. So, okay, I'm I'm gonna keep going. Um, so her sister Nancy, excuse me, her sister Linda actually said that she remembers the day that her sister died very vividly. Which I mean, I I think that makes very much a lot of sense. Uh, mm-hmm. I I would think you would remember something like that. So I have some direct quotes from her. So her sister says, um, she told online news source the Union that. Um, We know she didn't show up for work that morning. So they called me at work and I called her apartment manager because my husband and I lived in the same apartment building. Mm -hmm. So she says, we had friends who were also court reporters. So I called them and I said, hey, is Nancy's car in the parking lot? And they said, yes. Mm -hmm. So So she said, okay, well, she didn't show up for work today. So they eventually went to find the um apartment manager landlord and then they were able to enter into the apartment Mm -hmm. so that is when her um her co-workers actually found out that she was dead because the landlord went in found her and then the rest is history from there so a lot of people knew where nancy lived though then i mean at least the complex that she lived in Mm -hmm. so you got you got her co-workers you got her sister her sister's husband her fiance of course it just seems like Mm -hmm. a degree of you know, friends and things. That's, that's a lot of suspects right there. Did they ever check the sister's husband? No, not to my knowledge. I I, I didn't read up anything about the sister's husband. It okay. seemed like the sister and the husband were like the main two people mm-hmm. um, trying to help find who her killer was. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I I don't think that they were that they were suspects um, in in this case. But the crazy thing is, from 1970 until you know pretty much modern day this case has been cold so Mm -hmm. nobody could figure out who killed her there were no suspects everybody had an alibi or the the blood types matched and unlike a lot of cases that we get that go cold um 
Detective Mickey, the one that I mentioned earlier in the story, she actually said that the police in the 70s really did a really, really good job of collecting like DNA and evidence of the crime scene, but it was just so random. And I think like everybody's alibi just kind of checked out, including the people that lived in the apartment building, that they just could not put their fingers on it. So I think um, from your research and mine, one thing that I really have enjoyed about um, now being in Sacramento is like Sacramento's police department is not playing about these cold cases. <laughs> Neither and, is the Sacramento Bee. I'm sure you've seen it in every <laughs> in every case. Like yes. it's so crazy you bring that up. In in our next case, one of the big things the family said is the Sacramento Bee did they thing back in the 70s when it came to like following like cases, mm-hmm. not even following news, excuse me, not even just like murder or cold cases. Like they were consistently like, oh, here's a new story, here's an update. Here's da 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 da. Wow. You have to realize too, running the paper, like they had to put those updates in the paper before mm-hmm. it went out to print. So, you know, they were consistently updating. But um, yeah, in the 70s, I don't know what it was about the 70s. But I was thinking about that when when you started this, when you started this episode. I'm like, they had to be on their shit. Motherfuckers was running wild in Sacramento's in, in the 70s and 80s. Yes. And like so, thinking about our stack of cases, we have a concentration in the 70s and 80s. This is true. This is true. And to to add just a little random fact in here, um, as I was web sleuthing, for a while, <laughs> some police officers in Sacramento actually I'm thought that, that name. Web sleuth? Yes. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> what would you prefer? A, a muckraker? <laughs> no. <laughs> Why do all of our, all these little sites got to be, <laughs> got to be like web sleuth? It just sounds nasty. But remember that class we took <laughs> in um in in our master's program that it was like something muckraking like that was the name of the muck, class yeah muckracking yeah that yeah was the name whatever of the class. it's called yeah, it was muckracking yeah so um <laughs> with Chuck <laughs> <laughs> leave it so, there don't say nothing else yeah I'm gonna leave it there <laughs> so um for a while they actually thought that she could possibly be a victim of the Golden State Killer. Yep. Um, But we'll get there in a moment. Mm -hmm. So in 2004, um, once technology kind of got a little bit more advanced, and remember I said Sacramento has a very, like, hefty task force for cold cases and crimes, and I I love it. So in 2004, when they kind of got, like, the CODIS databases and all that kind of stuff, finally together, they were able to actually try to link the DNA that they got from the crime scene with whatever they had in CODIS. But unfortunately, they found no match. So the following year in 2005, again, Detective Mickey Lynx um, began her cold case hunt for Nancy's murderer. Because now at this point, she's like, it's been, what, 30 something years, 35 years? Like, we need to find this killer. So, um, But again, this didn't yield much result at all. And then actually she retired before they could actually find Nancy's killer. So she retired, but she was so invested in this case that she actually came back on a volunteer basis in 2019 to help find Nancy's killer. Like she was not playing. Oh, she wasn't playing. Yeah. Yeah. This this lady's a badass. So 
15 years later, in November 2019, investigators from the Sacramento County Sheriff's Office cold case team and the Sacramento Sacramento is a tongue twister for me today. (laughs) And the Sacramento County District Attorney's Office began a forensic um, genealogy investigation into the case. And Mm -hmm. so, um, you know, we've done some other cases before where this genealogy thing is really catching people up. And it's not even like the killer's information is necessarily in CODIS, but like it's their family members. And then they're able to match up the the DNA that way. So here's a direct quote from 2019 from Detective Lynx. She said, it's been a really long time working on this case. I wanted Linda, remember Linda's a sister and Tom, who is Nancy's brother-in-law to Mm -hmm. have some type of resolution I'm sad that Nancy's mom passed away, but at least some of the family and community will hopefully get to see this come to an end. And so, um, again, she said the, the detectives, the original detectives on the job did a really, really good job because what really cracked this case open was the blood that they found and the samples that they kept. Mm-hmm. So that's they kept them they were, all this time. They kept them all that time. When so at this point, statue- it's over 40 years. Yeah, we need to look at the statute of like, how long do they actually keep cases cold? And that's what people don't realize, like when a case is closed, when a case is cold, when it's, you know, it's, you know, classified as these different things, like mm-hmm. that really signifies like where they put the evidence and if they keep it on file. I would love to yeah. know because Sacramento will be having stuff from it, from the 70s and just cracked in the last few years. Like, I'm like that. I'm I'm in amazement of this whole thing. So um, the blood, like I said, eventually comes in handy. So Detective Lynx is now, of course, she's retired, but she got time. So what she ends up doing is she goes back over every single thing that's in the case and just kind of like comes through things that stick out to her that she feels like she should pay attention to. So um one thing that she noticed or that um, just stuck out to her was the alibi of one of Nancy's neighbors. These two neighbors had already been interviewed and they were each other's alibi. So one man, they didn't disclose his name, but the other man's name is Richard John Davis. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so Richard John Davis, she was looking in the book, looking in the book. And so eventually she's like, just cross-referencing anything with genealogy situations. So she sees a man's name pop up by the name of Richard Davis. Mm -hmm. The blood matched a genealogy thing in the system and it it pinged. So she was Mm -hmm. like, "Hmm, who was Richard Davis? Let me see if there was Richard Davis that lived in the complex at the time. He did. There was a Richard Davis that lived in the complex at the time. However, again, his DNA wasn't in there. The way that she found it was because of his daughter, so he ended up having a kid and her DNA pinged and that's how she connected it back to Richard. Was he still alive? Is he still alive? Correct. Hold on. We get in there. Just give oh me one God. second. Okay, 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 so okay. not only did that happen, she also, again, she talked to Richard John Davis's um, roommate at the time. And mm-hmm. so his roommate said that um, he doesn't remember exactly why they even moved in together or how they met. But he remembers that prior to them moving in together, that his roommate got a divorce, he had an ex-wife, and that he had a little girl. And so that is how she also kind of put it all together. She was like, oh, wait a minute. This lady's DNA popped up. 
his name, mm-hmm. and then you said mm-hmm. he had a daughter. We had never heard of mm-hmm. the daughter before. Like they never looked mm-hmm. into kids or anything like that. And I guess it really didn't matter because they didn't have this genealogy situation back in the day. Right. So she officially reached out to the daughter and gets another DNA test. And it comes back 99.9% that that's her dad. So mm-hmm. now they know this is, you know, this is the, the killer. Mm-hmm. So it just so happens that Richard John Davis was um, Nancy's neighbor. His apartment faced her back window directly. So he could look straight into her apartment from where he lived. He knew and everything so, about her. Yeah. And so it's, it's kind of like what you said. If he was able to climb up the wall and like scale the wall and he knew the door was going to be open, he already knew where her patterns were. Yeah. So he had probably already been stalking her or doing whatever. And then finally went in for the kill. Um, So that is how they found that out. So officially on July 21st, 2022, investigators identified the suspect, Richard John Davis, um, who was 27 at the time that he murdered 28 year old Nancy Benelak. They lived in the same apartment complex, but mm-hmm. Richard's dead. Why did he do it? So we're not going to know why he did it. We're not. He maybe died they had a- from alcoholism. Okay, maybe let's talk theories for a second. Maybe, yeah. maybe they had an affair, even though she had a fiance. Maybe they had an affair and she was like, you know, I'm going to start taking things serious with my fiance. Can't fuck with you mm-hmm. no more. One. Or two, maybe he was just obsessed with her. But I just find this weird. I'm still not understanding why killers who are obsessed with their victims or like have, a, you know, who love their victims kill them. And this is a gruesome death. It's like a, this is like a fuck you. Yeah. This is definitely like, I hate you death. This is not a, maybe a crime of passion. And maybe he went there and tried to, you know, tell her he loved her. And then, you know, mm-hmm. they got in a tussle and he accidentally killed her. No, this is definitely yeah. like, I went there to kill you. And I also didn't want to get caught. That's the thing too. It's like, if this was a crime of passion, he wouldn't have went there with, with tape on his fingers. Yeah, no. I'm like, this This whole thing is premeditated as fuck. Like, uh, so again, I, I don't know. Or maybe he tried, it, it could also be another thing whereby, and I think uh, one thing, I, my mind is racing all over the place. One thing that I always think about when like killers know people is if like this, the state that their body was left in. And he didn't like cover up her body. He didn't cover her face or anything like that. Like she was just there. Left her exposed. Yeah. So I'm like, that to me kind of is just like, mm. he didn't care about her. Yeah. I don't think they really had like that great of a connection, but they might've been just like, you know, regular neighbors. Hey, hi, bye, whatever. And you never know. He might've like hit on her, said something, did something. And she was just like, no, stay away from me. Don't ever do that type of thing again. And then he got turned off or offended. Or he just was crazy and was stalking her and had had enough. Because I'm like, the fact that he was now living, like, you went from being married, living in a house with your wife and your kid to having a 20-something-year-old roommate. Like, I don't know if he was depressed, if he was going through something. I don't know. But I'm like, for him to die of alcoholism in the 90s, that means he was only what? Like, 40, 50? 40. He could have been, yeah, probably he wasn't old. depending on what end of the 90s, he was either mid 40s or early 50s. Wow. Yeah, I I don't know what to think. (sighs) 
Yeah, so. And then they tried to to speak to his daughter a little bit more, but outside of her giving up her DNA, she said she didn't want to be involved. She wanted to help the family find out if her dad was like 100% the killer, but she didn't want, you know, to be involved in that. And I'm like, I could imagine that she probably didn't even really know him from what, from what is giving. Right. It also probably would have just cracked open a whole bunch of trauma for her. Mm-hmm. But also, you never know if she has access to his stuff or like any old yeah. like memorabilia from him. Like, I just imagine someone who did this, they have a journal somewhere. They have some somewhere. type of record of it. And it's like, you know, they didn't really talk about was anything missing from Nancy's apartment. Like, did he did he have an anger problem? Did he go on to kill anybody else? Is there any other connections they can make? Mm-hmm. Throughout the state. Also, how long did he end up staying living in that apartment? I have too many questions. Like, yeah, too and too too many questions that I don't think that they, you know, once they once they found, cracked it, they was like, <laughs> yeah, they were like, that's that, that's that, and it's just it's always interesting to me in in these cases, like how people come back years and years and years later, decades later, and they're like. Hey, this sticks out to me. Why don't we look into this? And then it's like that one thing that cracks the case, and it's like, damn, nobody thought of that, you know, however many years ago. Even if it was just like simply over, like interviewing all of the residents and figuring out like mm-hmm. whatever it is about them. But I guess it still wouldn't matter if you knew he had a daughter, because again, the genealogy stuff didn't exist, right? But also thinking, why did the roommate lie for him? But also maybe the roommate didn't think he was lying for him. Maybe. You know, they said we're both in the mm-hmm. apartment at this time, and the roommate genuinely didn't know that he left the apartment. Yeah, but something or, in their statements. Yeah, had to, I was here, right? But something in those statements had to stick out to the detective for her to even go that route. If you really mm-hmm. think about it, so I want to know what was said in the statement for it to be like, yeah. okay, clearly this seemed like some sort of setup, or since simply since simply since they were each other's alibi, why? Um, why didn't they look into it further? But I'm also thinking, since there was no suspects, everybody should have been a suspect. Why wasn't everybody's blood pooled? Just imagine yeah. if they would have got his blood back then, they would have matched it. Yeah. One and one, right then and there. Mm-hmm. It, it, I don't know. It just, it, yeah, again, before they found that he was the killer, it's a case of who done it. And this just like... This is very off base and has nothing to do with this case at all. But it, it it seriously reminds me of Arpana. And I'm like, why didn't y'all do a better job of interviewing every damn everybody. body in that apartment complex? Because somebody in that apartment complex was the killer. And everybody, and even as for, you know, it's crazy I'm saying this now, but then like if I was in this situation, I'd be like, why would I voluntarily give up my DNA? Yeah. But I'm like, why weren't y'all, if this case, but just like Arpana's case, this case, really weighed a lot on DNA evidence. So why mm-hmm. weren't y'all pulling DNA and voluntarily asking everyone for them? And if not, okay, see if they lower it up, see how they acted afterwards. And yeah. that would give you some evidence in itself is how yeah. people responded. And I'm thinking I'm like, like if- listen, somebody died in my karma complex and it's all about DNA. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> Have mine. Y'all gonna know it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like I, I, I want to, I need to free myself. But the other thing is, I'm just like, I wonder why they didn't fingerprint more people. Also, the other thing is, it just dawned on me. They didn't think the killer lived in that apartment complex because the blood stopped in the parking lot. And I'm like, whole time, that's also also faulty because I'm like, you can run in your car and bandage yourself up and run into your home. But also, did that dude have a car? I don't know. 
I'm a, I, I'm trying to think like how did the blood stop in the parking lot? Did he get into his car? Maybe he moved his car after that because it had all of his bloody clothes and stuff. Yeah, in it. and a trail to the blood. I'm assuming. Yeah. I wonder where on him was cut or hurt for him to be bleeding, and if it was visible. I assume it was from a. But I'm also thinking, okay, if he's cut or if he was hurt in any type of way, did that happen when he was inside? And was it a defensive wound because Nancy was fighting back? And if so, was there not skin or anything underneath her fingernails? Uh-huh. Like, so what there's the, to what, me was just so many things to pull and consider. What the police were was saying about his defense, about her defensive wounds, excuse me, was that they know for a fact that you know she fought back and that she had to have either cut him with whatever his weapon was, um, well, with what the knife that he was using or something, because they say it was an excessive amount of his blood at the crime scene. And that's why they were able to get such good samples of it because it wasn't just like, Oh, a little droplet here, a little droplet there. Like they said it was a lot of his blood. So So I don't know, but in order for them to know that he used tape because they found a piece of the tape, I'm wondering like, was there a partial fingerprint on the tape? And y'all could have like just fingerprinted everybody and figured it out that way, you know? Had to be. But then that's also be. a lot of man like manpower, I feel like. That's well, a lot there, of legwork. Yeah, you said that 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 he didn't just put tape directly on his finger, right? It was like some sort of padding or something. I'm thinking like gauze or something. And then he taped that around his finger. So maybe there wasn't because of that reason. But I assume there was some sort of imprint on there. That's something, you know, but I don't, I don't know. I, I understand like, you know, our fingerprint is this way, but like, what if you pull an imprint from this side of my finger? Are you able to like track that back to somebody? No. <laughs> Why not? I'm thinking of like the, the way the lines on my finger, the way the lines on my finger lay are not the same way the lines on your finger lay. That's thinking correct. of an experiment, I would literally, if I was a detective, I would, everybody who was in that complex or anybody I talked to lay some mm-hmm. tape on it and see how it lay. I don't know. You know, they be doing I'm thinking of Dexter. I'm getting in my Dexter bag. You know, on Dexter, when he be doing the blood splatter stuff, he'd be recreating Mm -hmm. scenes to see how blood splatter, even though he was a murderer. He'd be recreating scenes to see how he was drinking blood and stuff, wasn't he? No, I don't I don't know if he was drinking blood. I think he fucking made that up. Um, (laughs) He was not no vampire. You know what? I'm thinking about Santa Carlita diet. Yeah, they was he drinking was a, blood. He was a vigilante. Anyway, <laughs> I just use that as an example to say he was recreating things to see how things mm-hmm. really happen. And I'm, I don't know, I don't know. But yeah, I just imagine. I wonder too. Like, did the tape come off before he got into the apartment, or did it come off after? If it came off after, um, because whatever the cut was on him could have had nothing to do with his fingers at all, and that tape could have came off towards the mm-hmm. end, which points to why they didn't find any fingerprints in the apartment because the tape was on his fingers and the I'm entire like, time you know how stealth there. you have to be to have like just the grip of like stabbing somebody that many times but also without like the full range of your fingers yeah i'm also thinking he was probably sweating which is probably why the tape came off on the way out i don't know man yeah i don't know but you know her family her sister is still alive and the brother-in-law is still alive. And so when they were able to, um, you know, announce they found her killer and all that stuff back in 2022, her sister was just saying how grateful she was for um, Detective Mickey and just like the Sacramento Police Department in general, because they have been looking out for um, Nancy all of this time. And so a lot of people, even folks she used to work with and some folks that still work in like the court system, um, they... I'll read you some quotes. So 
District Attorney Anne um, Anne Marie Schubert says it's been sat it's been said that justice can sleep for years and awaken when it's least ex- expected. A miracle is nothing more than dormant justice from another time arriving to compensate those that that it has cruelly abandoned. So then she also says, when we talk about dormant justice in a miracle, there is no doubt that justice in this case was dormant for decades. Over the years, for those of us who worked in the courthouse, I often got asked by court reporters, what's going on with Nancy's case? I would tell them Nancy was never forgotten. She was always at the top of our list. Hmm. Yeah. R.I.P. Big Nance. Don't forget the big. (laughs) Emphasis on the big. So, um, y'all, thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of The Point of No Return. We invite you to follow us on all of our social channels, um, as well as just keeping your eyes and your ears off for all of our new projects with Mandy Image Media. So, until next time, I'm Amanda Washington. And I'm Michelle Graham. And this is The Point of No Return. Bye. Bye.